This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call. Another week in the books here on Sports Country Radio. Plenty to talk about this morning. Of course, uh, some uh, the trade deadline in the NBA yesterday and the Celtics finally making some moves. We had fans back at TD Garden last night. We have March Madness returning this weekend. It's been strange the last couple of nights not having basketball. I, I kind of think the, uh, by the way, I, I kind of feel like the NCAA mismanaged this a little bit. They had the first and second rounds of the men's tournament, and then they basically took you know five, six days off. They had the first and second rounds of the women's tournament. They're taking a few days off. And now, all of a sudden, this weekend, we've got men's basketball and women's basketball. It's all going to be going on at the same time. It's going to be very difficult for people to watch all the games. I, I don't understand why the NCAA didn't rotate this a little bit and kind of go, you know, we'll have the men Thursday, Saturday. We have the women Friday, Sunday. Uh, You know, it just seems to me they could have maximized the exposure of both tournaments if they hadn't held everything off until this weekend. But what the hell do I know? But it just seems like it was a bit of a misstep for me. Uh, I did a high school basketball game last night. Bittersweet, actually, for me. It was probably my final... Uh, high school basketball broadcast in Connecticut. In, um, in, in my wife and I are moving to North Carolina uh, by the end of the year. Um, their station's still going to continue. We're just going to move it down to uh, North Carolina. So the show's still going to be going. The station will still be going. But uh, it's kind of an end of an era here. Uh, I mean, the station, uh, we're going to have our third anniversary uh, next week. But I've been doing high school basketball games here in the state for 15 years. And uh, last night was probably my last one, unless something goes horribly wrong and the house doesn't sell uh, when we want to move in the fall. Uh, hopefully, uh, by next basketball season, I'll be down in North Carolina. And I don't know that I'll ever do, I'll do the high school thing again. I'm you know I'm at a point now where I think what I'm doing now, uh, doing the show in the morning, and uh, I think that's going to be good enough for me. Uh, I'm probably going to be doing a music show at some point on the weekends. Uh, you know, doing some regular DJ stuff and just play some country music and I might even uh, take requests and stuff, but I think that's going to be enough. I think my broadcasting days are are coming close to behind me. We're still going to do high school baseball in the spring. Uh, We'll probably do some American Legion baseball in the summer, and we may do the fall football season here in the state of Connecticut before we leave for North Carolina, although that's kind of undecided. I think it's going to depend on, uh, on how I'm feeling. And, and how busy things are and, and how things are looking as far as the move goes. So we'll see. But kind of a bittersweet night, and it was an unfortunate night for Cromwell High School. They lost in the semifinals of the Shoreline Conference Tournament last night to Valley Regional in what is one of the ugliest games I've ever seen. You know, So unfortunately, my last game was not exactly a thing of beauty, though it did go to overtime. 
these two teams missed uh, a ton of a ton of free throws. Both teams couldn't shoot a free throw. I think Cromwell lost the game. I think they were like five for sixteen from the free throw line. They missed eleven free throws. Lost the game by three in overtime. You know, it was they don't have to look any farther than that. Valley Regional didn't shoot much better. Uh, teams, I mean, the number of layups that were missed last night was phenomenal. Uh, so it was ugly, but um, I guess it, I guess you could say it was entertaining because at least it went to overtime. But a uh, tough way for the Cromwell season to finish. All right, let's get to the NBA. Uh, the Celtics finally made some moves. People have been screaming for Danny Ainge's head. They have been screaming for Brad Stevens' head, and I still I don't understand the animosity towards Stevens because he suddenly went from being brilliant to being an idiot. Uh, and, and I think people don't want to hear the fact that Danny Ainge didn't give him a full deck to play with. You know, they have had no bench, no bench scoring whatsoever. Um, they haven't had a lot of toughness either. Now, Robert Williams is playing better. Uh, you know, Marcus Smart missed some time, but they haven't, they haven't been very tough and they haven't had that spark plug off the bench. Well, they got it yesterday. Uh, Danny Ainge finally pulled the trigger and they got Evan Fournier from the Orlando magic. Um, now, if you don't follow Orlando, you may not be that familiar with Evan Fournier, but he's been in the league um, for several years. Seems like forever, but he's only 28 years old. This is a guy that's averaging about 20 points a game. Uh, throughout his career, he shoots threes at about a 38% clip. You know, now all of a sudden, you've got some instant offense off the bench. The Celtics have been bringing Marcus Smart off the bench. Marcus Smart's their best defensive player, but they've put him in a position where they're asking Marcus Smart to hit big shots. Marcus Smart is not a great scorer. He's a great defender. And I know even great defenders would like to get involved in the scoring, but Marcus Smart tries to do too much, and I think it's because he recognizes the fact that their bench stinks, and he feels like he has to. Well, now they don't have that problem. They can bring Fournier off the bench when Brown, Jalen Brown needs a, a, and Jason Tatum need a break or Kemba Walker needs a break. Now you've got some offense off the bench, something they haven't had all season. And in addition to that trade, and, and, and by the way, they got, it, they got him for a couple of uh, draft picks and, uh, and, and Javante Green, you know, which is fine. Um, and then they later traded off Daniel Tice. They traded Jeff Teague. They got Mo Berg back from uh, Chicago, who had been with the Washington Wizards. Uh, Berg's a guy, and look, you, you look at his numbers and you'll say, well, you know, how's that moving the needle? He was averaging about seven points a game, about three rebounds a game. But this is a guy, uh, he's a big dude. And he'll take up some room in the middle. He's not afraid to mix it up. Daniel Tice, look, Daniel Tice was fine. You know, they traded him to Chicago. They had to free up. One of the reasons they had to make this trade was by bringing Fournier in. Um, they were going to be over the salary cap. And, you know, they didn't want to do that. And they also had too many players. You know, they were over. I think they had 16 or 17 players. So they had to move some guys. So they didn't have a lot of choice here. Tice wasn't making a ton of money, which makes him very attractive for Chicago. The other part of it is, is that Tice is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. And a lot of people assume that his salary for next year would be uh, way too pricey for the Celtics. So they get back a guy that is not afraid to bang. And they get back a guy that can shoot the three off the bench. So uh, I like it. 
I like it a lot. Uh, a lot of people think this is going to bring the Celtics right back squarely into the middle of the Eastern Conference, keep them in the mix. Uh, maybe. We'll see. You know, but, you know, my last memory of Daniel Tice is going to be that game against Milwaukee the other night. And, you know, look, he was open. He had to take the shot. But Daniel Tice, you know, the guy that's playing in the middle, taking a three-pointer at the buzzer is not what you're looking for. You know, that's a situation where if you've got a guy like Fournier, he's in that game. I mean, think about this. You know, if you're in a situation late in games where you need scoring and you've got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and, and Fournier all as your options, it makes the Celtics a much more dangerous team. So good for them. It's about time. Uh, you know, we'll see if it if it changes things. And, and look, uh, if it doesn't, maybe I'm wrong about Brad Stevens. I I like Brad Stevens. I like his even demeanor. I like you know. I don't like necessarily watching coaches that berate officials that lose their minds all the time that can't keep their cool I like guys with an even steady hand you know I mean I know there's times every now and then where you got to lose got to lose it and I'm sure Brad Stevens has had a few of those but I bet they're in the locker room you know I like the way he has his hand on the rudder of the Celtics team now, if with these new weapons, if things don't change significantly and they still are struggling against teams they should be beating, okay, then maybe I, I've got to recognize that I'm wrong and maybe he's not the right person. But I, I, just, I just have a feeling if he was a yeller and a screamer, I have a feeling guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would shut him down, would, you would just, you know, sh- tune him out. And, you know, then you're guaranteed to lose it, you know, lose the team. So I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think it's Brad Stevens. I think it's the roster makeup, and and we'll see uh, if what Danny Ainge does makes a difference. But at least they did something. Uh, Staying in Boston, the Bruins had fans in the building last night for the first time since March 7th of last year, so a little bit over a year. Uh, it was nice. Look, it was, it was a small crowd. You know, they were, you know, scattered throughout the building. It was only a few thousand people, but you know, for these players, it had to be talk about music to your ears, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like the last couple of basketball games here in the state of Connecticut, where they had fans at the high school games, you know, where most of the season, you know, they played in front of an empty gym. There was an there, there's a different vibe to the building. Even if like at the high school game last night, I did. There were maybe maybe a hundred people in the stands because they were limiting how many could come in per player. But a hundred people versus zero makes a big big difference. So it was nice for the Bruins last night. Unfortunately, it didn't translate into a win. They got off to a great start. Uh, they had a two nothing lead. Uh, the Islanders got one back late in the first, and then the problem became now the second period starts. Tuka Rass doesn't come back out. He starts the game. He doesn't come back out for the second period. Yaroslav Halak, who's been on the bench, has to come in um, and can't hold it. They end up uh, uh, giving up the tying goal. Then they uh, then they go behind. Fortunately, they they get the tying one late in the third period, take it into the overtime, and then they lose it to Anthony Beauvier with uh, a goal 21 seconds into the overtime. 
Halak made the save, the initial save, but the problem was is he couldn't keep the puck in his glove, and it was just kind of sitting there in the crease, and one of the Islanders came through, cleaned it up, and uh, the Bruins lose. Now, they still get a point because it's an overtime loss. Um, and, you know, this is after, by the way, they've been off for the better part of a week because of the whole COVID thing. You know, the fact they came out and took a 2 nothing lead, very encouraging. Um, there has to be some concern now about what is going on with Tuka Rask. He missed um, a bunch of time prior to the shutdown for COVID with an injury. Nobody really was sure what was going on. It must be the same thing that happened yesterday. He left the game. Nobody knows what's wrong with him. It was an unspecified injury. Even Bruce Cassidy said after the game, he said he left and I haven't seen him since. You know, now here's the concern with Tuka Rask. Look, you know, fans have been on him when he when he opted out last year during the playoffs to go home because his daughter was in the hospital. I thought the fans were completely out of line with that. But there has also been a couple of other issues with Tuka Rask during his tenure with the Bruins where he needed some time off for, you know, mental health and a couple of other things. And there have been some times where people have questioned Tuka Rask's desire to continue to play for the Boston Bruins. Last year with his daughter during the, the COVID thing, that that that's an outlier. That's something you can't you can't even count that. But there's been a couple of other incidents. Now with this, the injury prior to the shutdown for the COVID, and then this one yesterday after he leaves at the end of the first period, and he's not talking to anybody, and nobody knows what's going on, including his head coach. It's a little concerning. It's a little concerning. Uh, so the Bruins are off today. They will play the uh, absolutely horrific Buffalo Sabres on Saturday afternoon and talk about a game that you got to win. That would be the one. Um, <laughs> Buffalo's lost something like 15 games in a row. And not only have they lost 15 games in a row, uh, they lost again last night 4 nothing. Uh, their coach last night, was their general manager, Kevin Adams. Why? Because their interim coach, Dan Granato, or Don Granato, and the assistant coach, Matt Ellis, had been both placed into the COVID protocol, uh, so they didn't have a coach. So Kevin Smith, who's never been a head coach in the NHL, he'd been an assistant coach for a couple of years uh, with the Sabres back, uh, like I think, from 2011 to 2013, and then last year got the GM job. Well, he was on the bench last night. I think they lost 4 nothing to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but, uh, so if the Bruins can't beat them on, uh, on Saturday, a team that is in an absolute free fall, <laughs> the, the, uh, the fans are, are not going to be very happy. And then there will be fans in the stands once again. So now they will be able to voice their displeasure instead of just yelling at their televisions. And believe me, you know, I was thinking about this. Now the Celtics are going to have fans in the stands as well. There's been a lot of yelling going on at television sets throughout New England this winter. You know, the Bruins started off hot and have uh, uh, gone in the tank. Uh, the Celtics started off incredibly hot. They've gone in the tank. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> you know, you have nobody to yell at because you can't go to a game and yell at the players. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm watching the Red Sox game last night. We'll get to that a little bit in a minute. 
But I, I'm watching the Red Sox game last night, the uh, spring training game from uh, Florida. I actually taped it because I was doing the basketball game, and I still wanted to watch it, so I, I DVR'd it, came home and watched it. Martin Perez is starting for the Red Sox last night, and uh, you know he got the first couple of guys out, and there was an error and a hit, and then all of a sudden you hear a guy in the crowd going, now we're seeing the real Martin Perez as – Yes, the Minnesota Twins started hitting the ball all over the ballpark. You know, and it's that kind of stuff that these players have not been subjected to. They haven't had to hear heckling. You know, and for better or worse, I think the fans that have been sitting at home yelling at their television sets are are loaded for bear in the city of Boston. So it should be entertaining to just listen to the crowd. All right, um, as I said, we're getting back to the NCAA tournament this weekend. I can't wait. Uh, unfortunately, the UConn men not in, but the UConn women are, and everybody is talking about that game coming up uh, on Saturday between Iowa, the number five seed, and the number one UConn Huskies. And it's not just UConn versus Iowa. That's not what people are talking about. They're talking about the matchup between the two freshmen, uh, Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. Caitlin Clark led the nation in scoring this year. Averaged uh, like 27 points a game. As I said the other day, you know, and, and she's a great player. Don't get me wrong. And she can shoot the lights out. You know, she's one of those where she never saw a three-pointer that she didn't like. She will launch the ball from 25, 28 feet. And, she, and she'll knock them home. Uh, the difference in this game is going to be the depth of the two teams. Really, for Iowa, uh, it's Caitlin Clark. And uh, they've also got a uh, the young lady, Monica uh, Sinano, who's pretty good. But outside of that, the UConn roster, top to bottom, is so much more talented than Iowa. You know, UConn should still win this game 15 to 20 points, I think. Now, you know, Caitlin Clark goes off and hits eight threes. Maybe it's a little bit different, but, you know, I think that the you know I, I understand why people are fascinated with the two with the two freshmen, you know Paige Beckers may be the player of the year in the country. Caitlin Clark led the nation in scoring as a freshman, impressive, no question. But you know let's not get too carried away with that. Let's just uh, concentrate on UConn is clearly the better team here. I was twenty and nine this season. UConn has one loss. It was to Arkansas, and Arkansas shot the lights out in that game, and it was kind of an outlier. Arkansas got bounced out of the tournament. Um, and, and UConn has just continued to play better and better and better. I think this is an easy victory for UConn, uh, but Saturday, and I was surprised by this too. I actually thought the game was, they were going to put it on at night. I really did, but the game is going to be at one o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. So that's a good thing. Uh, and it's going to be on ABC ESPN is putting the game uh, or Disney, I should say, which owns ABC and uh, ESPN, is putting the game on the major network, ABC, and not ESPN. So that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so, uh, again, should be an easy victory for UConn. And, of course, the men's tournament gets going, and everybody is excited about all the upsets that have gone on, and rightly so. And I just wanted to take a minute, and I don't want to go off on a rant, although, but but I gotta, I've got to bring this up. One of the greatest stories in the tournament so far has been Oral Roberts. 
a 15 seed has gotten to the Sweet 16. It's really cool. It's a great story. They've got to play number three, Arkansas. Um, it's going to be a tough matchup. If they get by that, I'll be shocked. But this is a great story. But like we do in America, and this is the part that really kind of disgusts me, Oral Roberts, instead of everybody celebrating it, and believe me, there are plenty of people that are, but then if you go on social media, go on to Twitter and, and check, look up Oral Roberts, uh, Google some of the things that have been written about Oral Roberts University, and people are skewering these kids just because they go to a Christian school that may not have the same um, values or the same opinions as popular culture these days. They are just like uh, BYU with the Mormon religion, uh, just like a lot of other Christian schools, they follow more strictly what things that are in the Bible, things that are taught there, which means that they are not in favor of uh, gay rights, gay marriages, uh, things like that. So the uh, LBGBT uh, community is outraged. But here's the problem, and this is why this is one of the problems that we have in the country. And I, I mean, I kind of alluded to this the other day, where. You know, how, with how divided we've become and how we're, we're going to just, you know, we're going to self-destruct. Um, with And this is a slippery slope for me. I have to be very careful how I, I, how I word this. You know, let me be clear. You know, I am all for members of the LBGT community having equal rights, okay? I, I'm... I, I, Look, you, you shouldn't be discriminated against because you love who you love, okay? However, I also respect the rights of people that belong to different religious groups to stick to their beliefs. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, we cannot expect everybody to have the same outlook on society. That is unrealistic. You know, so now, you know, we've gotten to a point with our, I, I guess if you want to call it our cancel culture, um, the mob, the social media mob comes after anybody who doesn't agree with whatever the uh, ongoing cultural uh, wave is. Um you know, just because the uh, Oral Roberts University community uh, has opposing views on sexuality doesn't make them any less worthy to play college basketball or to compete in the NCAA tournament than everybody else. You know, uh, there was a great article written by a guy by the name of Ed Stetzer, who is a for former student at Oral Roberts many years ago. But this is a guy that is now uh, a dean at Wheaton College, um, where he serves as the, uh, the director of the Billy Graham Center. And uh, he's also a professor as well as the dean there. 
And he wrote a great thing, and he said, look, he said, um, we've gotten to a point where now people that are in support of the, the gay and lesbian community uh, have said, uh, you know, in the past it used to be all we want is the right to marry. How can my gay marriage uh, hurt you? And he said, he said, but now that has transformed to because you don't agree with me, we want to take away your college accreditation and your chance to participate in athletics. How is that right? You know, uh, we have no right to tell a religious community, the, the Muslims, the Jews, the uh, evangelical Christians, what they should believe. What happened to we, you know, if, if we are supposed to be tolerant, if, if the community at large, if they're saying that we are supposed to be tolerant of the LBGT community, why do we not also have to be tolerant of people that have beliefs that are different than that? Oral Roberts isn't playing in the NCAA tournament holding up signs saying we hate people that are, you know, gay or a transgender, they're just playing basketball. These are just kids playing basketball. So why does the, 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 the do people feel the need to uh, get the pitchforks out and suddenly come after these kids? They're just trying to play basketball. You know, nobody goes to a school that, uh, you know, that is uh, predominantly Jewish, like a, uh, a yeshiva or, or a Baruch, and go in there and say, hey, you don't believe in the same religion that I do, so you shouldn't be allowed to play basketball. You know, where's the, if we have to be tolerant, if we're supposed to be tolerant of the LBGTQ community, why do people that are, support them, and, and by the way, I support their rights the same way as anybody else, I think they should have the the same rights. I get it. Um, you know, by and large, you know, there's a whole there's you know the whole transgender thing uh, in athletics is a whole slippery slope. I don't I'm not going to get into, but by and large, you know, I support this, the, their rights. So why then should people you know on the other side not be able to have the right to say their thing? It's part of what our country is founded on. This is not. Uh, you know, and, and the problem is, is that the mob, the mob, the people that, you know, that are that are the online mob that's dictating now, you know, what is acceptable and what is not is going after these people. And that's the problem. We have this mob mentality online and people are paying attention to this. And it's and it's changing. We've got politicians paying attention to what the mob online is doing. Chrissy Teigen. And whether you like her or not, and, you know, you say what you want. She's John Legend's hus- uh, wife. Uh, she's a beautiful woman. She's very opinionated. She's funny. <coughs> you know, and she's been very active on Twitter. But she's got people going after her just being nasty and saying just awful things. She she closed her Twitter account out. It had millions of followers. She just said, I don't need this negativity. I'm gone. And the problem is a lot of these people that are causing these problems are people on social media that that don't even have a big following. You know, you got people that, you know, have, have three, four hundred people following them and, uh, you know, but but they're spouting off this hate and it just and it grows. And because people will retweet it to be like, oh, this is cool. And they'll retweet it. And all of a sudden people are paying attention to these nut jobs. Leave these kids at Oral Roberts alone. 
you know, leave the kids at BYU, leave the kids at uh, Texas, you know, uh, Abilene Christian and Liberty, all these kids that go to these Christian schools, just because they don't believe the same thing that you do doesn't make them evil people. We don't all have to believe the same thing. We don't all have to embrace the same things. You know, and I, I know this is kind of a ridiculous analogy, but if one person's a stamp collector, it doesn't mean the guy who's a, a, a coin collector is evil. You know, I mean, that's uh, it's it. This is what our country was founded on is the is religious freedom, the right to speak our minds and the right to live our lives the way we want to live them. And, you know, what is going on and the things that are being said about Oral Roberts University and those kids that play there is uncalled for. And, and you know, it's just another example of how things things in this country. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like the old man get off my lawn, but, man, I'm telling you, the longer stuff like this goes on, the more I worry about this country eating itself from the inside out. We don't have to worry about another country destroying us. We're going to destroy ourselves if we don't stop it. So leave these kids at Oral Roberts alone. Let them go ahead and enjoy it. And you know what? Let them go ahead and beat Arkansas. You know, I mean, what a great story that would be. It doesn't matter what their religion is and what they believe. You know, they have the same right to play college basketball as anybody else, period. 34 minutes after the hour, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 37 minutes past the hour. Welcome back uh, to the Wake Up Call. Um, <laughs> didn't mean to, you know, I sometimes, you know, you go, I'm sure there's some of you sitting out there listening to me, and, you know, I go off on my little rant, and you go, Gene, it's way too early in the morning for this. <laughs> but, yeah, I just... You know, I, I just feel bad for those kids at Oral Roberts. I, I just do. I mean, it, in what should be one of the most enjoyable times of their lives, you know, when, to have people dumping on them, uh, just it, it isn't right. It's not right. Um, the uh, Red Sox yesterday, and I watched the, as I said, I watched, I DVR the game. I watched it last night. Um, and, you know, you look on the face of it and you say, well, that was not a very good start by Martin Perez last night, gave up five runs, um, five hits in four innings, and he threw 85 pitches. He threw 35 pitches in the first inning. So on the face of it, you say, that was awful. Then you look at it a little bit and you say, well, all right, all five runs were unearned, number one. His defense made two errors behind him. He threw 35 pitches in the first inning because – uh, Michael Chavis dropped a pop-up in the infield at second base. After that, Perez had to proceed to throw 20 more pitches to get out of the inning. And yeah, they hit a couple of balls pretty hard off of him. But uh, he would have been out of it two batters later if Chavis doesn't make that error. Then in the second inning, Rafael Devers makes an error. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates open up. You know, Perez got the first two guys out in the second inning, and then the error, and then the floodgates open, and here we go. So I am not as quick to dump on Martin Perez as, as others might. Um, four innings, five hits. 
He struck out four in those four innings. He did give up a home run uh, to Josh Donaldson. It was a no-doubter. There's no shame in giving up a home run to <laughs> to uh, Josh Donaldson. But he struck out four. He didn't walk anybody. He threw strikes. You know, And that is one of the things that the Red Sox pitching staff is supposed to do this year. That's one of the things that is being preached to them is that we have to attack the strike zone. So I, I, I'm, I'm more willing to give him a pass on that one. Um, what I will say is that I was a little bit concerned about the way the Red Sox bats looked last night more than anything. Randy Dobnak got the start for Minnesota. Jesus, he looked like... Uh, uh, Burt Blylevin, five innings. He only gave up one hit and one run. And it was an absolute blast by Bobby Dahlbeck. By the way, his seventh home run of the spring, he's got more home runs in the spring than anybody in baseball, period. Um, so I was more concerned about that. Uh, Dobnak looked unhittable. And this is a guy who is fighting to maybe be the fifth starter in that rotation. So, I, I, you know, again, I, I think Perez is going to be fine. And, look, we have to recognize Perez for what he is. He is your number four starter. He's not the ace of your staff. He's a guy that, you know, behind uh, Erod and Evaldi and Garrett Richards, you know, you're hoping, you know, with him and Pavetta that you can get outings where you can go five innings and maybe pitch into the sixth Keep the team in the game, and hopefully the bats are going to be good enough to bail you out. That's what Perez and Pavetta are supposed to do. They're not supposed to go out there and you know throw zeros. If they do, it's Christmas. You know, you t- you take that gift and you run with it. But that's not what you're going to get out of your fourth and fifth starter on any team, by and large. By the way, you know, there's a couple of exceptions in baseball, but you know, the Dodgers might be an exception to that. But for most teams, you know. You just you just want him to keep you in the game, and without those two errors yesterday, Martin Perez kept him in the game. He probably pitches into the sixth inning if you know Chavis and Devers don't let him down. Uh, other takeaway from yesterday: uh, Matt Barnes pitched another scoreless inning. He hasn't been scored on in the spring. Uh, now I was a little bit concerned. Is he gave up a hit, gave up a walk, and it was kind of like a lot of the uh, outings we've seen from him in the past where he he nibbled a lot. Uh, but again, hasn't been hasn't been scored on in the spring. It's a guy that it looks like is going to be their closer. And the way he and Adovino have pitched in the spring, I feel really good about it. The Sox have another game today. Uh, they play against the Tampa Rays. Uh, it's on Nesson, second day in a row. By the way, it was so nice yesterday to turn on uh, to to have the Nesson game on and have Dennis Eckersley's voice back again with his uh, you know. Uh, his uh, all his sayings, you know, p- pair of shoes after you strike a guy out, and all the other things that he says. It just it was nice to hear that again. Uh, but they'll be on today. Thaddeus Ward, and everybody's kind of going, "Who?" Well, yeah, well, he's going to get the start against the Rays today. It's actually Nick Pavetta's turn to start, but he's already faced Tampa twice this spring. The Red Sox don't want Tampa to get another look at him. So they are going to throw Pavetta in a B game at the Twins Complex. Um, they're, they're hoping to get six out, innings out of him in a B game so that the Rays don't see him again uh, before the start of the regular season. That's a smart idea. That's, you know, that's become a very common thing, by the way, 
um, where teams are, if they know you're going to face a guy in a couple or face a team in a couple of weeks, they're not letting them run out and pitch against them in these final spring training games. Smart move. Uh, so uh, it's uh, so Thaddeus Ward gets to start today. I have no idea what that means. J.D. Martinez did not play yesterday, by the way. You know why? Bad sushi. See, there's a reason I don't eat fish. I don't like seafood. I, I don't think I've talked about that in here, but I can't stand seafood. I'd rather eat battery acid than seafood. And and if I'm not going to eat cooked seafood, I'm sure as hell not eating raw seafood. So it serves J.D. Martinez right. He had some bad sushi, and uh, they said it led to, quote, unquote, internal distress. <laughs> so he didn't play yesterday, but he'll be back in the lineup hopefully today. Um Xander Bogart's got the day off yesterday. He'll be back in the lineup today at shortstop. That sh- uh, shoulder seems to be holding up okay, which is uh, really good news for Sox fans. Speaking of shoulders, uh, we had some concern, obviously, Padre fans did, about Fernando Tatis Jr. after hurting that shoulder a couple of days ago. Well, he was back in the lineup in the spring training game yesterday for the Padres and celebrated his return to the lineup with a three-run home run. So his third of the spring uh, so I'm sure Padre fans are definitely feeling better. What they might not be feeling better about is the performance by you Darvish yesterday in the game against the Rangers. Uh, Darvish only lasted three innings. Uh, gave up four runs, three hits. He walked four guys. You know, that's obviously a little bit of a concern. So, uh, and then uh, a couple of other guys that they're counting on in their bullpen, Craig Stamen, he got whacked around a little bit. Noe Ramirez got whacked around a little bit. Mark Melanson got walked, whacked around a little bit. It was a tough day against the Texas Rangers, a team that's going to be in the bottom of the uh, American League West. Uh, it was a softball score, by the way. San Diego won the game 11-10. to 10. Not that that means a hill of beans in spring training, but, uh, uh, but it was good, good to see that uh, Tatis was back. Now, this isn't a shoulder injury, but it's close. Uh, this, was the, this was devastating news yesterday for the Chicago White Sox. Eloy Jimenez, who was scheduled to be the starting left fielder uh, for that White Sox team, has a torn pectoral uh, tendon and has to have surgery. He will be out five to six months. So that effectively knocks him out for the whole season. Now, I suppose, you know, if it's five months, he's back, you know, maybe September for a stretch run, if you're lucky. You know, if it's six months, he's out till October. Uh, So not great news. And he did it going up trying to rob a home run in a spring training game. And it was weird. I was I watched the play, and he goes up. You know how the, you always see the uh, you know the outfielder stretch the arm over, and it's like a whiplash effect as it goes over, and he, he missed the ball and came back down. And come to find out, he popped that tendon, and uh, so he is out five to six months. Now this is a Chicago White Sox team that everybody thinks uh, is a playoff team this year, and it's uh, you know it's up in the air depending on who you talk to. It's either going to be the White Sox or the Minnesota Twins to win that division, and whichever one doesn't win, it's going to be a playoff, t- uh, a wild card team. Uh, but that's a tough one for Jimenez. This is a guy that two years ago um, hit 31 bombs his first year in the majors, and even last year in the shortened season, he hit 296. He had 14 home runs in 55 games and drove in 41. 
You know, so he is one of the stars of this team. They were counting on him in a big way this year. Now, look, they've got plenty of other talent, no question about it, but that is a big, big blow to the Chicago White Sox. It's 47 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take another break. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 49 minutes past the hour, just a few minutes left here this morning before we head into the weekend. A great day here in the Northeast. Had some more rain last night. Not a ton, but uh, we'll take it. But temperatures again today supposed to be in the 70s for the second straight day. Oh, can't uh, this? I tell you what, it couldn't couldn't come at a better time. Uh, a couple other things out of spring training. Yankee news yesterday. Uh, Jordan Montgomery was supposed to uh, start their game yesterday against the Phillies. And then they decided, nah, let's not do that. So they sent him. This is bizarre. They, the Yankees sent Montgomery to a backfield to work against Phillies hitters in a simulated game. So he faced Reese Hoskins, JT Ramuto, Gene Segura, and Didi Gregorius, four pretty good hitters, in a simulated game and uh, and pitched five innings of a simulated game And you know, instead of having him uh, out there in a regular game. Uh, the regular game that happened between the Yankees and the Phillies, another softball score yesterday. How about this one? Uh, Thirteen to twelve, the Phillies <laughs> defeated the uh, New York Yankees yesterday. Yankees threw absolutely nobody; just threw out a bunch of uh, uh, cannon fodder yesterday. As did the Phillies. It was like uh, this was more about getting the hitters some at bats than it was about anything else. Uh, Aaron Judge hit his first home run of the season uh, in, of the spring this uh, in the game yesterday. You know, and I was uh, I was looking at the Major League Baseball site this morning, and they made a mention of, uh, in a headline that he had hit his first home run. And they said, you know, uh, Judge hits, I don't know, 110.1 mile an hour home run. And I was thinking about this. And again, I, I know it's my old age, but the insistence on Major League Baseball jamming these numbers down our throat, the exit velocity, and the launch angle and all this other stuff is part of what is wrong with baseball today. You know, we we constantly talk about, you know, all these things we're trying to do to change the game, to speed the game up. And one of the things we need to do is have more balls put into play. If we continue to concentrate on how hard and what angle that people hit the baseball, it still it continues to encourage guys to just go up there and try to mash and not worry about putting the ball in play. And we're going to continue the cycle of having, you know, 40% of the batters strike out. You know, 40% of the outs, it was some ridiculous number of like, I think 40% of every out in baseball last year was a strikeout. Uh, It's unreal. So, you know, MLB continuing to spout these numbers just makes things worse. It really does. Um. Dr. Bobby Brown died yesterday. Now, those of you you young whippersnappers might not remember Bobby Brown, but he was the former president of the American League uh, from 1984 to 1994. Uh, very classy guy. Died yesterday at the age of 96. But Bobby Brown was not, you know, a lot of people remember him, you know, people my age, obviously, we remember him as the president, you know, of the American League. But Bobby Brown was uh, uh, the last surviving member of Yankee teams from the 1940s. Bobby Brown's roommate while he was a player, Yogi Berra. Uh, Bobby Brown's first game, or his first old-timers game at Yankee Stadium, 
was in 1947. He was 22 years old. The players that were standing on the field for Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium that day, think about this now. This is how this is how old, far back he goes. Babe Ruth, okay. Ty Cobb was on the field that day. Uh, so many huge names. Uh, and Bobby Brown was there and was was a link from the Yankees' past to their future, and he was part of some great teams in the 1950s. This is a guy that in uh, the World Series, in 17 World Series games, hit 439. I mean, ridiculous. And he's also another one of those guys from that era that had his career paused twice because of military service. He served in World War II, and then in 19, I think it was 1951 or 1952, uh, he got called up again for the Korean War and left the Yankees for 19 months, came back in the middle of the season, I think in 52, and uh, you know helped them to the World Series. So uh, Bobby Brown passed away yesterday uh, at the age of 96, and he was an actual doctor, by the way. He, was, he, uh, he served uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the medical corps in the military and, and actually became a medical doctor uh, at the end of his career. Uh, Gio Gonzalez retired yesterday, former uh, pitcher for the Washington Nationals and a few other teams. He was trying to have one last hurrah. He's 35 years old. He signed a minor league contract with the Marlins. Uh, he's from Miami, was hoping to maybe have a chance to pitch for his hometown team. He had always kind of dreamed of pitching for them. Uh, it did not go well. Uh, his last outing was Saturday uh, when he gave up seven runs and eight hits, got one out against the Nationals. They just drilled him and. uh uh, he decided to hang it up at the age of 35. He pitched, you know, for Chicago last year, the White Sox pitched fairly well. I mean, he was in 12 games. But uh, over the life of his career, 131 wins, 101 losses, uh, 370 ERA in uh, 13 seasons. So Gio Gonzalez uh, hangs it up. And uh, Jim Nance staying with CBS. There was some talk. Uh, ESPN was trying to woo him away from CBS. Uh, but Jim Nance is going to stay with CBS for the foreseeable future. This is a guy, we knew he was going to stay with CBS. I really did. But there was some talk because Tony Romo, his broadcast partner for football, got a ridiculous contract for like $17 million. And poor Jim Nance was only making $6.5 million. Uh, there was some talk that he was trying to get Tony Romo money. And uh, if he didn't get it, he was going to walk. I don't think that was ever, uh, ever an option. Uh, Nance is 61 years old. He has long said that he would like to call the Masters uh, 50 times. And that would be in the year 2035, 14 years from now, uh, when he's 75 years old. Uh, that is the most important thing that he thinks he does. He loves that golf tournament. So Jim Nance staying at CBS, glad to hear it. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he's a Connecticut uh, resident and uh, glad to hear he is staying with CBS. And one more thing, NASCAR this weekend. And I'm definitely watching this. It's going to be strange. Uh, they are going to race on dirt this weekend for the first time since 1970. And what makes it even more bizarre is it's going to be a Bristol Motor Speedway. Well, Bristol Motor Speedway is not a dirt track, folks. They carted in 23,000 cubic yards of dirt and covered their track for that race this weekend. <laughs> so... It is going to be bizarre. It's going to be 
dirty and dusty, and I'm, I'm really curious as to what the camera angles are going to look like and the camera views are going to look like with all that dust flying up from the dirt track. But uh, it's going to be uh, entertaining to watch, so the, I'm definitely going to be checking that out on Sunday. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back Monday with another edition of The Wake Up Call. Here's some Keith Urban on the way out. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.